As Julie Zhu mentioned in her episode earlier this year, management is a job. It can be given to you and it can be taken away. But leadership is a quality you have to earn. And in his first year on the job at Indeed, Quentin Larson earned his leadership stripes several times over. Not only did he lead the design of their first design system, but he created a vision for their native apps and introduced a new approach to design sprints. In this episode, we talk with Quentin about his prior work at IDEO and eBay, how he's currently involved in Indeed's job seeker journey team, and how he makes sure the right people are involved in project kickoffs. Enjoy our chat with Quentin, and thanks for listening. Quentin Larson has made a big impact at Indeed, where he is currently director and lead experience designer. Within one year, he led the design of the first version of their design system, as well as a vision for their native apps, and is now leading Indeed's Job Seeker Journey team, aiming to unify the Job Seeker product portfolio. Quinton also introduced a bold approach to Indeed for design sprints, taking the best of Google's sprint approach and blending it with IDEO's methodology for a flexible framework that Indeed adjusts depending on the problem at hand. Quinton Larson, Director and Lead Experience Designer at Indeed, welcome to the show. Thanks for asking me to be on the podcast. You've got an interesting background because you're currently at Indeed, and we want to talk about you know specific things that you're doing there. But you, not so far out of school, found your way into IDEO and were doing some really interesting work that it seems like it was very cross-disciplinary too. Can you talk about what was your experience like at, at IDEO? What'd you learn there? Oh, yeah. I'll probably say the same thing everybody else that's worked at IDEO does. It's um, like one of those magical places to kind of come out of school and work at because... Uh, at least in my experience at Art Center, it was a really kind of conceptual look at the world of design and the role that design plays in the world. And you really kind of look at things that aren't in the scope of putting kind of business or product first. It's really about what are we solving? What are we, how are we making the world better? And finding my way into IDEO, which is a story in itself. Like I to- thought I totally bombed the internship interview and everything, like just totally wrecked it, but turned around and it actually went really well. (laughs) Why did you think you bombed it? Oh man. Um, so I wasn't, it was, it was a really small interview at school with two designers from IDEO and I brought in my laptop. I brought in my phone because I had a prototype on my phone. I brought in a whole bunch of printed process books. I didn't have a presentation put together because it was a brand new thing for me. So I didn't really understand the process. And so I just, I went in and I was like, hey, you know, I have these projects. Here's the prototype. Here's the process books. Here's kind of like the web version of it. And I'm kind of jumping back and forth between everything. And at the end, they were like, this is great. Like the work's really, really cool. You were just kind of all over the place a lot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, it may have been I just got a little too excited because I was like, it was IDEO. It was one of those places, you yeah. know, I'm at school. I'm like, top of my list uh, where I want to go. And who I want to work for. And, you know, I just walked out of there like, oh, man, like this, it, what, it didn't seem professional. It wasn't clean and polished. And it wasn't, it just, it just wasn't, you know, and I left and I was like, you know what? All right. So not going to be getting that internship. <laughs> <laughs> and they called back and was like, we loved it. Um, you know, so let's, let's continue on in the process. Did they tell you, did they give you any feedback or specifically what they loved about your work and your presentation? The presentation probably less loved, but I think it was more of, of the work and the thoughtfulness of uh, behind some of the projects I was doing and just showing kind of the entire solution 
so it, if it was an app, it wasn't just a couple screens. It was like I thought through the entire architecture and the ecosystem that it lives in. And then the app lives inside of this longer journey, understanding the perspective of the human and how they're using it. And how, what, you know, like in the real world, like, you know, it's like, I even find myself doing this nowadays is, you know, we're creating these, these amazing products and we sometimes forget to take the step back and understand, you know what, this person is looking at that app badge on their phone amongst hundreds of other app badges. And we enter into their life for a split second and maybe a couple minutes at best sometimes. And maybe we want to increase that engagement because we think that we have something valuable to help with their lives. But at the same time, we also need to respect the life that they're leading and be aware of that and make sure that our time with them is the most valuable it can be and doesn't pull away from what they're doing, but it enhances it in some sort of manner. That's a very different perspective than uh, many companies have in the Valley. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a personal sort of respect for life that I really try to introduce into the work. Engagement is definitely one of those things that we want to measure. We try and, you know, look at engagement as level of success, but engagement for how long is the question. It's like, if you're really moving somebody through getting a job, can we do that as quickly as possible and still deliver just as much value? They don't need to be on our platform looking for an hour trying to find a job to apply to. What we really should be focusing on is getting them to that application and that that moment of encouragement and empowerment and saying, yeah, I do have the qualifications to apply for this job and I'm excited about it. And getting them to that point a lot quicker than letting them churn and kind of spin and in these moments of kind of like fear and uncertainty and to be like, you know what, maybe I should apply, you know, maybe I'll, I'll think about it a little bit longer. And them kind of then still going back into the search process of maybe there's another job out there, maybe there's something else. So just trying to make people's um, moments on our platform as quick as possible. And just to clarify for our listeners, you're working for Indeed, and if you haven't encountered Indeed before, most of us have, but uh, it's a way to find your next career move. So yeah, that's that's a big focus of what you're doing today, trying to solve some some interesting design problems there. But could we dig back into IDEO a little bit? Can you tell us, you felt like you bombed it. Mm. You didn't actually bomb it because you, yeah. you killed it and you got the job. And you you jump into IDEO. What, what was that like? What the, I mean, they're famous for solving process issues, pioneering process. Yeah. Um, what did you learn as a designer that you take with you today? I think the biggest chunk of it is that empathy part really understanding how to put yourself in the shoes of who you're trying to create solutions for. There was a lot of field research that goes into the IDEO projects, whether it's directly related to the project itself or it's analogous research. When you get in those moments, you really try to zen out into that moment and really absorb everything that that person is, the way that they think, the way that they live, the way that they make decisions, the reasons and motivators in their life. And there were moments in, in some of the research where I could really feel kind of this pain that they were experiencing. And I could recognize some of these, these behaviors that had driven their decisions and kind of put them in compromising situations that really weren't beneficial for their lives. After some of those days, you were just exhausted, like emotionally drained. And then 
the other biggest thing learning was transitioning those emotions and those thoughts and those feelings and being able to communicate those, being able to put those down on like post-its, put those down in notes, share it back to the team, and then kind of synthesize. Synthesize is another big thing that, I mean, everybody does, but IDEOs, it's, it's a process. Like they take the time to really understand what was experienced, what was shared, what really stood out to, to the designers and really, really work through the problem at hand and discovering other problems that maybe weren't the main focus of the project at the get-go, where you were like, we went into this situation, you know, with these sets of ideas, and we uncovered all of these other sets of problems. And let's really kind of dig into that more and figure that out. And then synthesizing from there into what are some potential solutions? What are kind of the core principles that we could build that could really, really inform and kind of put up some guardrails for solutions that we could create and brainstorm around? So I think what I really, really learned from IDEO was all of that front-loaded part of projects, of figuring out what should we design and why should we design it? So I wanted to go back to something you said a little earlier. I think Aaron and I both kind of perked our ears up when you said that respect for life is something that's important in the context of designing products. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think that probably empathy is a, a part of piece of that, but maybe it goes even beyond. I'm just curious if it does. It's interesting because it, it starts to touch on kind of like my own principles that I've started to develop through my, my process as a designer and just my experience is the respect for life. There's definitely the empathy part and understanding, you know, like how does our product work into the daily lives of people. But I think it's even beyond, it starts to get into even just our, our industry where not everything needs to have a technical solution. Sometimes there's beauty in friction, as long as it's not damaging. Uh, and sometimes there's growth from friction. And we are so focused and we're so excited to create solutions and make things easier that Sometimes we don't really understand the long-term implications of removing some barriers that maybe create moments for people to learn something about themselves or grow as a human being or develop a behavior that will be with them for life where, you know, it, it just, it's maybe teaching them how to interact with society or with another person and there's certain things that we're so excited to solve and remove some things that we may not fully understand how that could affect that person later on and at a social sort of like larger scale as as us as humans. So I know it's a, it's probably a little abstract and very vague. <laughs> it's it's a particularly interesting topic though because you know there's there's a lot of conversation about addiction to our devices, addiction to content. I think yeah, al almost all of us in the industry have felt that uh, in a personal way at some point. And so to hear a designer who is in the Bay Area really thinking about this in a thoughtful way, I think that's, that's kind of unique. So just curious, like the notion of respect for life, where's that come from? What's your personal connection to that? Um, I think it's, <laughs> this may be a little embarrassing, but I have this, uh, the, almost like these two sides to me, you know, if I think of like inside out 
you know, you have like your little personalities inside. Mm -hmm. But one of them is like this designer who just loves to create and make things and, and solve problems and look at things and be like, oh, you know, this would be a great idea to do. And then there's another part of me where it's just like, you know what? None of that matters in the context of a larger universe and humans and connection. There are s solutions and some things out there that uh, there's a lot out there that has made our lives better. But there's this total opposite side of me where it's like, you know what, man, I just want to live. I just really want to be with my wife. I want to be with my family. And I want to just make those relationships really long lasting. And it's interesting because about a year ago, my dad passed away and he was all about work all about business. He worked, he was on a business trip and, and that's when he passed away. But that was his life. And one of those things, like, you know, you always hear people talk about, you know, when you're on your deathbed, the last thing you're going to say is, God, I wish I worked more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's, it's one of those things that I guess I kind of keep in perspective as I work. The things that we're making, the things that we are doing are making lives better for people, especially at Indeed. We're, we're trying to connect people to kind of the most basic necessity, which is work, but also work enables, you know, payment and money and you can, you know, survive off that. So that's unbelievably important to me. But at the same time, I don't want to take away from my own personal life and the things that I'm trying to do, you know, build a family, become a dad, a lot, a lot of things. And I know I'm still entering into this phase of my life of that. And I know there's people that have done this successfully. And so, you know, I don't want to uh, speak out of turn on in saying like, oh, you know, you can't have all of it, which I think you can. It's just there's definitely that balancing moment of figuring out when work maybe starts to bleed a little bit too much into into life. That's kind of my own personal perspective on it. And I probably am rambling a bit on it, but <laughs> not at all. It's super relevant, especially, I think, in our industry. For those of us who have been in the industry for a little while, you start to recognize how it's, it's intense. It's very intense. And uh, we recently had Jake Knapp on the podcast and talking about his new book, Make Time. Yeah. He lost his father early hmm. and it's changed his perspective as a father today. I've met Jake's son. He's a wonderful kid and Jake's a, a wonderful dad. Yeah. And he's very mindful. He's, he is, you know, someone who has built an inspiring career, yeah. not unlike yourself, and also found a way to Use your words to have it all, to be able to also be present. And what we hear from our, our listeners is they, they want that. You know, they want to find, find that as well. And I think that maybe from the outside world, what we hear in media is often that technology is tearing us down, but it also builds us up in a really positive way too. Yeah. You know, everything in moderation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you just mentioned too that uh, you don't want to, may necessarily foist your advice on anybody, but I think it is it is good to hear the stories of people that are are really kind of like deeply in the process of thinking about how do I get more balance? So are there any ways that you've approached it that you've found kind of successful? I've kind of time slotted my work. You know, it's like I have the time when I when I get to work and the time when I when I leave work and I try and stick to those as much as possible. Depending upon projects and products and launches and and build and stuff, you have to be flexible with that. Because I found like too much rigidity starts to create unhealthy tension on both sides in both worlds, my life and then work. 
So um, I try and stick to, you know, like I get into work, I try and work as efficiently as possible. So I've tried to find ways of making my workflow really fast and learning just how to work really quickly, but really thoughtfully. And then at the end of the day, I try and just completely unplug. I found that I need that that moment of, of rest because it regenerates the energy. It regenerates kind of those creative juices because I've gone through those phases of, you know, like get in real early, work real late, do that for an extended amount of time. And then you just feel drained and you're just like, man, I can't really think as creatively as I, I was, right. You know, when I was fresh. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's kind of been the big thing is just kind of putting up those, those times of this is work time. This is lifetime. So one thing we have heard from reliable sources about you is that you can get a lot of stuff done that you, you are, very focused and driven and managed to be extremely productive. And it's interesting that you've got this clarity of like, I need this downtime to regenerate so you can come into work. And when you're there, it sounds like you're all there and you get a lot of things done. Can you talk about, and by the way, we, we hear this from your colleague, Kim uh, Williams, who's also a, a former guest on the Design Better podcast. And, yeah, um, yeah. Another awesome. in inspiring person in the design world. Absolutely. So listeners, if you haven't heard that episode, uh, definitely worth checking that out as well. Could you talk about at Indeed, are there any secrets or things where you feel like you've figured out how to be super productive and uh, whether that's collaboration or design systems, what is it that helps you get so much done at Indeed? It's interesting because I um, actually didn't realize I was doing this until when another designer was sitting next to me and he was just, he was watching me work through some different ideas. And then we're talking about different iterations and da 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 moving stuff around. And he kind of, he, after like five, 10 minutes, he's like, you know what? I didn't realize he's like, you work with like complete abandonment to process at times. <laughs> he's like, you just get in there and you just move things around. You, you, you break things, you, you just move really, really quickly. And then you put it all back together. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't realize I did that, but I do kind of like work really quickly with this sense of abandonment to all kind of preconceived notions of any systems that are put in place to create that product. And then I, I kind of try and put it all back together and then collect my thoughts and then share it. Cause I found that I can move really, really quickly through things as I'm moving pixels around. I kind of get clarity and, and thinking and understanding of like, okay, yeah, this is going to work that way. That's going to work this way. We're solving this problem. This isn't solving that problem as well. And then when I, I land on something, then I try and get as, as many eyes on it as possible and then reach out to the partnerships and the collaboration and then work with them on making it even better. I just try and gather my thoughts as much as possible right up front and put in as much thought as possible right up front and then come to the partnerships and the collaboration moments with a lot of thought and points of views put into it already. But again, keeping it as open and flexible as possible, where it's like, what do you, what do you think of this? Are these assumptions correct? What data do you have? What research do you have? I have my own sets, but I know you have a lot. And so here's this artifact or multiple artifacts that we can point to and say, you know what, this is working, that's not working, and here are the reasons why. 
because I found sometimes coming to those conversations early without some artifacts, some, some visual cues for us to rally around and talk about, sometimes those conversations potentially start to spin just a little bit. And we just really get into talking about the idea instead of just getting it down on paper and starting to move forward with it. And that was, that was also another thing that I pulled from IDEO, which was be as visual as possible all the time, even when you're speaking. If you're doing a post-it, draw a picture. Try and draw your idea first. If you can't draw it, then add in a few words. But the thing about the post-it and writing with a Sharpie is it limits how many characters you can put on there. <laughs> so it's kind of genius in, in the fact of you have to use this really fat marker and this really small piece of paper to write out this idea. Be precise. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I've, I think I've maybe managed to work a little bit quicker. I love that. That's great. So you, you mentioned um, partnerships and collaboration and getting lots of eyes on your projects. How do you go about building those, those partnerships and how do you get people to participate, you know, kind of in the process, which is a big thing at audio, obviously. It sounds like maybe you're bringing that to Indeed too. Sometimes it, it kind of depends on what project I'm stepping into. If it's a project that's already kind of further developed and it has its set of players and the collaboration uh, or in place, uh, maybe uh, we, we kind of figure out, okay, well, how do we want to move forward with this? And do we start having one-on-one -on -one collaborations or do we need a brainstorm or a workshop? One of the projects after the design systems for Indeed was putting together kind of this proof of concept for the native app on a really close-in vision of what it could be. And so me and the VP and a couple of designers worked together on putting together some loose ideas of what this native app could be, the architecture of it, uh, and just throwing some ideas up you know, in Sketch and throwing it in a prototype. And then we kicked off the entire work with a really, really large workshop. And we invited, I think it was around 20, 26 or 30, 30 people from all different offices around Indeed. And that focused on their verticals. It was like the homepage, the search, the my jobs, the profile, you know, the application flow. And we had a week-long workshop uh, of basically just putting out all of our ideas, all of our research, really getting an understanding for one another's work, coming together and, and brainstorming potential ideas, and then cross-sharing really opening up the understanding like search knows what profile is doing profile knows what the application flow is doing homepage like everybody shares everything so that they can get a full understanding of how their product lives in this journey and we can start to get on the same page with one another of you know like what we believe what we don't think works as well and then from that workshop we took all the ideas and modified the prototype and then we started working one-on-one -on -one with each one of those teams. And that's still, that's still ongoing. We have some limitations that only enable us to work with a smaller set of teams right now. But that's kind of how we're working now. Sounds like a, a great way to just make sure that everyone has shared understanding and, um, you know, just a, uh, looking at a problem from multiple perspectives. Yeah, yeah, it's... Indeed is really another <laughs> another magical place because everybody is so excited to kind of learn what everybody else is working on um, mm. and share. That's the biggest thing that I've noticed is the level of sharing and openness is like 
here's our files. Take a look at it. Let us know. Take some pieces if you want it. Use it in in what you're making. And so there's there's not a ton of kind of like, you know, holding things to the chest. And this is kind of like my product and that's your product. And, you know, we'll we'll come together on, uh, you know, once a month and maybe chat about things or something. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit more about um, this sort of overlaps with what you're describing, but just how project kickoffs work? How do you make sure that you've got the right people involved in the conversation? Mm. How do you make sure that everyone has a shared understanding of what you're trying to make, what the goals are, what you're accountable for? Is there a brief? Is there like a special way that you do meetings, kickoff meetings? It's been different for kind of each each project. So I guess maybe that's why it's a little bit difficult for me to answer that one. Getting the right people in, in the room is also an interesting one because there's there's so many people that you want to involve, but then you also know like, well, we may get too many people. <laughs> it, it gets very complicated the more people you have involved, but conversely, it gets complicated if you don't involve everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think... We have a the upcoming workshop we have coming up is around 50 people, and that's really, really big. And we're really kind of thinking about how do we make this as successful as possible? And we have a lot of people working on this idea that we're, we're going to be doing the workshop around. And it's all around how do we come to an agreed alignment on the goals for this specific project to be? And so the, I think the approach that we're, we're taking on this one, and it's, it's also a new thing too, is we're inviting as many people as possible. We're going to try and run some design exercises to get empathy for one another's current state of the product, understand each other's challenges and why there's certain things functioning the way they are. And then we want to get an alignment on how we want to fix it. And from that workshop, um, we just we want to come away with a better understanding of, yes, we agree these are problems. Here are the reasons why they currently exist. And here are kind of the solutions that we're going to move forward with. And it's going to be a longer process beyond the workshop of understanding, okay, so who's got the time and who wants to take this first solution? And then who's going to take the next ones? And so it's just beyond the workshop. The workshop is is definitely that kickoff, but the extensions are, we're going to meet with these teams uh, once a week to make sure that we're aligning and moving forward. And we're going to meet with these other teams maybe twice a week um, because we see that solution coming to being launched a little bit sooner. And so it's difficult. I don't know. We're just going to try something out and see if it works. <laughs> we, we, have a, we have a pretty good guess that it will, but you got to be ready to adapt. That's what I found is you know, if something's not working, don't be afraid to try something new and continue just to always forward progress through things. That's, that's a lesson for life right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what, one of the things that Kim mentioned to us is that you helped create the first version of Indeed's design system. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how a design system helps to create a, a better connected workflow between designers and developers. Yeah. At least the way that I, I, I kind of think about it at its core is uh, it makes things move a little bit quicker because maybe the developers don't have to continuously recode new designs that designers are coming up with. That's kind of like a very sim simple thought in my mind. But it's like 
a designer can take existing components that are pulled from the design system and they have their partners on the code side that are all ready to go. And so when the designer hands over kind of the specs or just the designs for the product or the iterations on the product, it's already using components that the developers have at their fingertips. And some of the the more kind of nitty gritty things are already worked out from the design systems team who put these components together. Um, so the developers can just kind of grab and go. I, I probably don't have the best answer to this question as Kim or somebody else, but in my mind, it just creates less uh, deviations and variations that the developers have to go, you know, we've got to recode these things because your spacing is different, your type sizes are different, like all this sort of stuff. And on the flip side, the designers don't have to work as much with the builds on, you know, that's not the right typeface, that's not the right weight, that's not the right spacing, placement, alignment, layout, because those things are kind of the foundation blocks are put in place. So there's there's maybe less redlining at times on both sides. Uh, just as a, a brief follow on to that, since it sounds like you were involved in their first design system and, and a lot of the folks in our audience are probably you know in progress or thinking about building their own system, were there any kind of learnings that you could share from going from zero to one that were either great or you could we would do better if, if you were to go through the process again? I think it's exactly to Aaron's point of if you don't involve enough people, <laughs> then, you know, you come out with maybe something that wasn't as good as it could be. And if you involve too many people, it gets a little messy. I think from my own personal reflection on it, we were moving really quick and we really wanted to kind of get something that just started to um, make Indeed feel a little bit more cohesive as an experience. I think there were products and people, uh, designers on those products that weren't fully looped into the process. And I think the system could have benefited from having a few more people involved to give input and to, you know, be able to provide another perspective on, you know what, these sets of visual solutions or buttons or whatever it is, we're, we need a little bit more in that set. But it's a learning that we aren't uh, ignoring or glossing over. It's one of those things at the forefront of the design systems team is like, They've been on roadshows all over the globe. I mean, I just always mess with them like, oh, you're you know, going to jet set again around the world. And <laughs> um, they've been meeting with teams and really understanding where's the system working? What are the challenges you're having with the system? Where's the system just not working at all? And what solutions have you created that we can fold back into the system? One lesson we heard from uh, Jihad Afoneh who's over at VMware and uh, sparked their, their design system over there is that, uh, you know, we asked him similar sort of question, lessons of creating design systems, kind of expecting him to talk about tactics and so forth. And he said it really just boiled down to the roadshow and getting a lot of people involved and aware and building the relationships to get people to start to use that design system because it it's only as as powerful. It was a Bob Metcalf, the, the network effect. The value of a fax machine goes up the more people who own a fax machine. <laughs> and the same is true of a design system. The more people that are using it, the more valuable it becomes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that it takes a lot of persuasion and almost sales to a point of like why trying That's to right. get teams to adopt this thing after they've already kind of created a product that is performing really well. 
And then you're asking them to adopt a design system that could potentially impact that performance. And being aware that it's not just the performance of that product for the business, but in business and organizations, performance is directly connected to individual performance and incentivized um, structures, bonuses, things like that. So understanding that sort of chain effect of, you know, like we're not just asking you to adopt a new design solution, but this will ripple through and potentially if it doesn't go right, it could affect you on a personal level. (laughs) That may be a little dramatic, but I think it's important to keep that in perspective is it's not just product. It's also the people that are working for the company. And we want to make sure that everything's successful, not just the product, but the people that are working on that product as well. Sure. Yeah, there, there seems like a common thread in, in the way that you describe the work that you're doing at Indeed from the design system work you've done, workshops, you know, broader collaboration. We started the conversation, uh, you as a, as a designer, being thoughtful about your work and in design school, it's all about you, really. It's just like you figuring that out and then maturing into a growing designer at IDEO. And here you are, you know, you're at eBay and now you're at Indeed, but you're in the big leagues now, right? And and the thing that leads to success, as you described there, of like whether or not your career grows, whether or not you get bonuses and so forth, it's not just about how did you push those pixels? It's about how did you work with those other people? Yeah. That seems to be a recurring theme in all of what you're describing at Indeed. And I wondered if there was, um, I don't know, some some parting recommendations or just uh, observations about how you approach that in your career that you could share with with our listeners. It's interesting because I'm very passionate about the work that we make, the products, but I'm also extremely passionate about the people that I work with. And early on, which actually isn't too terribly long ago, you know, like the drive to make this beautiful thing and and these beautiful products was really, really high priority for me. And, you know, potential for, oh, you know, you know, there's awards out there and you could get awards and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then there's uh, a shift that has happened and it's more of the focus on I wouldn't say it's it's not off the work, but understanding that in a, a really large company to create really large impact and really help the world, uh, you can't do it alone. You can only go so far by yourself. And it's the people that you work with that share that passion that are really, you know, the, the community that you, you have inside those organizations really drive and create thoughtful, meaningful solutions uh, that can really help the world. You can become really great if you focus on the work and if you just dedicate your life to that, but you can create even better things when you're in a group of people that are thinking the same. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. I, I've, I've had to, I, I'm still, I'm still kind of reflecting on that. <laughs> but clearly you're, you're doing something right. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I am. So yeah, it's it's and it only gets better the more that the teams grow at, at Indeed because the people that choose to join and you know come onto the teams are just some of the the most caring, thoughtful people that I've I've worked with and really care not just about solving the product, getting the metrics up, but really care about that person that's looking for that job 
because we know the stories and the struggles that people are going through and how personal that moment is of you going and saying, I need a job. Can you please give me a job? So just to wrap up, Quentin, we're curious where you're finding inspiration today. What are you reading, Mm. uh, listening to? Could be a book, blog. uh, What's giving you inspiration today? Uh, I think one of them is observation. So getting out into the world and just observing the way people interact with one another, having those moments of communication, having having time just to spend with people. Th- those are really big to me. But like more specifically, let's see. So the two books that I'm carrying around right now, The Story of Philosophy mm. by Will Durant, The Lives and Opinions of the World's Greatest Philosophers, from Plato to John Dewey, the speculation around life and why. The, the other book that I'm reading right now is Hair, Brain, Tortoise, Mind. And that one's all about uh, in this world of fast pace, you know, like let's, let's get things done. Is there still value in the slow thought process um, where, you know, ideas come in, they settle into your, your unconscious, your subconscious, and somehow they just start making these connections or spurring these ideas. And I, I, I really felt that was kind of a, an interesting underlying trend in, in IDEO, where um, we, we really took the moments to sit and think and just absorb the world and let, let it just be, and then start pulling things to the surface over a day or two through the synthesis process. Obviously, you know, sometimes the project and the timeline would drive how long we had to spend on that. But the moments that we had longer time, I really felt like you know, this, there's still so much value to thinking a little bit slower, being a little bit more intentful and a bit more conscious before you start jumping to solutions. So those are the books I'm, I'm carrying around right now. Yet another example of uh, thinking differently than, than most folks in our industry where, you know, let's ship it. Let's keep moving yeah. as fast as we can. Yeah. Well, you know, and there's, there's, uh, there's a place for that too. There's, sure. there's a huge sure. place, you know, like I like to take things slow. But, you know, when I get into the, I get into the sketches and I get into the pixel pushing and it's like, how quickly can I get as many ideas out as possible? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's an adrenaline rush. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's, there needs to be that moment of slow down. Let's make sure that these are the right ones (laughs) before we start launching things. That's great. Well, Quentin Larson uh, of Indeed, thank you so much for joining us on the Design Better podcast. What a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Eli. It was, I I had a great time. Thank you. 